Welcome to the True Hope Cast podcast, where we take a deep dive into mental health's many physiological and psychological aspects. This is the show for you if you're looking for motivation, inspiration, knowledge, and solutions. That's what we are all about here at True Hope Canada. And True Hope Canada is a mind and body based supplement company dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non invasive nutritional means. For more information about us, you can visit truehopecanada.com. Today on the podcast, I welcome Dr. Annie White. Now, Dr. White is the author of The Calm code six weeks to a calmer happier you she developed a step-by-step method to rewire your mind to be calm happy and balanced based on the science of neuroplasticity today we're going to be discussing the calm code enjoy the show all right annie hi welcome to the show welcome to true hope cast thank you so much for taking the time to be with me and be with us today how are you what is going well I am great. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. I love what you're doing with your show and the awareness about mental health. And I'm just excited to talk to you. Beautiful. Well, why don't you just give us a little bit of an introduction and let us know who it is that you are and what it is that you do. Sure. I'll I'll shorten it for today's um, conversation, but I am a doctor of Eastern medicine. And I just wrote a book called The Calm Code, which is a powerful step-by-step method to rewire the mind to be calm, happy, and balanced based on the science of neuroplasticity in just six weeks. Okay. That's pretty cool. Why the cop? Yeah. Why why write the book? Do you? Okay. So I'm going to take you into a story of why I really wrote the book, and then I can tell you its origination point. What do you think about that? Sounds good. All right. So... Um, it was a few years ago, four or five, and I was, um, lying on the living room floor. I was sobbing, uh, hyperventilating and desperate because my husband had just left me and he left me because I wasn't myself. I was like flying off the handle for stupid things, like not putting the dishes in the dishwasher And I was irritable all the time. I was anxious. I was stressed. I had been through a really, really stressful couple of years. And it just basically wired my mind to be just highly stressed, anxious, irritable. And even I got into some depression with it. And he said to me, Annie, I love you, but you're miserable and I'm making you more miserable. And I don't feel like this is working and I I need to go. And in that moment, I thought, okay, I have two choices. I either fix this or my heart walks away. So the crazy part about this, Simon, is that I had developed the tools that I use and used on myself for my patients. I've been working on it for 10 years. And it's embarrassing to say that although I built those tools, I still got to that horrible point. But I think part of it was because I was supposed to be the one who knew about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the, supposed to be one who doesn't need these things. And it took my, maybe my ego, but maybe I'm a little bit stubborn like a mule. And it took a minute to admit that, okay, shoot, I actually need I actually need these tools. And so I dedicated myself to them. And after two weeks, eh, I felt a little better, but not a whole lot better. After a month, I felt a lot better. After three months, I was I was back in action and I was feeling better than I had. 
And I was surprised, I wasn't surprised that they worked because my patients had told me that for a long time, but I was beyond happy that they worked because it saved my marriage. And once I learned how well they worked, I dedicated my life to writing this book and getting it out to the people who need it. So you must have come to a, there must have been a transitional period of, of over those 10 years that you, where you, you know, kind of got to that point where, you know, your, your husband tells you that you're, that you're unhappy. Uh, so like, and you've obviously got, you've learned the, you know, you've done your, you've done your training, you've done your education, you've got all these tools to help support other people. But, you know, how does it, how did, how do we get, because it happens to so many people, right? Like they're very, like very well skilled in, let's just say like personal development, but then they let their own personal development slip because they're trying to learn to help other people. And that's kind of like where their energy goes. And sure, there's a bit of ego in there for probably most practitioners. But how, why do you think it took that, that serious, serious situation, like over 10 years and then boom, like that, that, that big thing happens with your partner like there's got to be like a, a, a position or a transitional period where you thought that things were getting quite bad and you, you could have done something about it, but it took that big like bang moment to start recognizing what was going on. That's an excellent question. And during that decade, what I had been doing for the most part was just trying to give my find tools for my patients to use to lower their stress because i knew if they didn't lower their stress they'd never truly be happy or healthy so i did a deep dive into neuroscience and neuroplasticity because my medicine cares about the root it cares about the why i have to know why things happen so then i could work backward and fix it and when i found neuroplasticity I knew I was onto something. And that states that our minds are wired with every thought we think, right? And every action, every strong emotion. And once I figured that out, it occurred to me, okay, well, that's why people get more and more and more and more and more stressed over time, right? Because their mind with every worrisome, tense, stressful thought wires and negativity is in there too. And we can talk about that in a second and why, because it's part of our stress response. But I saw that in my office and I developed my tools because I wanted to help my patients. But then I myself over a two year period went through a really, really, really stressful time myself. I, uh, we moved and my dad was dying over a period of eight months and I got so stressed. <laughs> I lost my business. And I think going through that two year period, I couldn't see the forest through the trees. I think I was in the quagmire of stress so deep that I couldn't see what it was doing to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course, totally. Like, as you say, like, I mean, obviously the brain, the mind thoughts are very complex and complicated. And um, when we, yeah, when, especially when we are stressed, we're unable to access certain parts of our brain that are like connected to rationale and intuition and to like the present moment you know when we're stressed we're constantly thinking about you know getting out of danger and you said something interesting in regards to some of the people that you work with um about unhappiness and stress and you've obviously seen that as a pattern and uh 
I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit more about that because stress, like stress is kind of like unavoidable. There are obviously different levels of, of stress and we put so much, we put so much of our stress on ourselves unwillingly, I think in, mo in most cases and society certainly plays a part in regards to its role of we must be busy, we must be stressed, we must be doing stuff in order to be, you know, what society deems to be successful or productive. But you've seen like a clear correlation between the stressed people you've worked with and their levels of unhappiness. 100%. Um, and I think that's a really important point. And I want to start with the fact that we are always going to have stress. And we don't want to get rid of our stress response because we need it, right? It's how we react to the stress that matters. And how we react to the stress is dictated by how our brains are wired. And the reason that the negativity comes into play with the stress, I call it Debbie Downer syndrome. I don't know if you ever saw that Saturday Night Live with the character Debbie Downer. Um, but basically, everything somebody would say to her, she would put a negative spin on it. Um, but that's because we are wired with this stress response to constantly consider worst case scenarios. And what are worst case scenarios? Negative. They're always negative. So we're wiring our minds to be stressed and negative at the same time because they go hand in hand. So when you're constantly rolling through those worst case scenarios, your mind becomes more and more and more negative. And before you know it, you have Debbie Downer syndrome and you didn't even know it was happening in the first place because obviously we wouldn't do this on purpose, right? But the thoughts that we think and the emotions that we have each wire our mind into this spot, right? And I think too, Sometimes that's why it's hard to see it as it's happening because it's not like a you go from a you know one to ten. It's like you go from a one to a one point two five to a one and a half to a one point seven five, or you know, it's a gradual sort of progression. And you wake up one day and your husband's walking out the door and you're like, oh, what? Um, wait a minute, what? Wait a minute, how this happened? It happened. Yeah, that's wild. I just it makes me also think when you're talking about because there's obviously obviously some sort of level of um, w being addicted to the hormones produced by stress, right? And it just makes me think of newspaper and the news. Like it'd be very very interesting if our news um, papers and news reports were just all good news all the time, rather than it's just always bad. And I okay. think that's been cultivated over you know probably 60 70 80 years to recognize that if we actually if they actually just spoke about good news all the time i don't think he, i don't think people would tune in because they'd be happy and they'd be focused on themselves a little bit more but the fact that the news is just always negative and it sparks fear and anger and rage and frustration and all these like you know very short very short wave um frequencies then we you know and we can we get some really like addicting hormones pumping around our body when we kind of see these things it makes sense that these like media outlets continuously pump us with extra external stress stimuli which then you know changes our biochemistry and you know weirdly keeps us coming back for more unless you kind of rec start recognizing like how damaging that is and 
the majority of the stress that comes into your body that does change your biochemistry in a significant way are coming from external sources that we've got the ability to shut down. You've got the ability to stop talking to colleagues or friends that are just like super negative individuals that just want to like bring you down and those know and then the tv you can just switch that off you know like but we, we have so much more power than we think we do in regards to beginning to change our relationship with our stress you said it before like you know some levels of stress is going to be inevitable it's an important part of our biology but our cultural evolution is just so so much surpassed our biological evolution that there's so much around us now that just continuously keeps us stressed out and pumping out these hormones and there's no way our body can continually keep up with you know that that literal production of like of, of chemicals yeah it's a good point and the addiction is a good point too because it's real mm. you know and the stress hormones are actually you know that when we are chronically stressed like you're talking about when those stay high that's when the health issues start to occur because just like you said our bodies are are built to deal with short bursts of stress, right? In those hormones. But when we have ongoing high stress and ongoing high hormones, like you were saying, our body thinks we're choosing to live in a neighborhood filled with saber-toothed tigers. It thinks we're just a weirdo. It doesn't understand. It's like, oh, this, I don't know what this girl has going on, but she, she likes the danger, you know? And it's just like you're saying, it's, it is addictive and, of course, media knows that. And so do people who make, you know, scary movies. And and I'm not trying to diss scary movies. You know, you watch one scary movie. It's not the end of sure. the earth. But like you're saying with the news, if you're watching this two, three times a day, how are you wiring your mind? Well, you're wiring your mind to be more stressed and negative every single time. And they don't tell you that part, no. right? It's just like it, for so long, people didn't find out cigarettes were bad for them. And those were addictive as well, weren't they? So, and I think we need the news on a certain level. But I think when you meet the news with a balanced mind, and when it's not like you're saying an addictive sort of nature that you're going to it, you know, multiple times a day for extended periods of time, that, um, that it becomes detrimental to people. Yeah, I mean, it can be just. I mean, it's so di so difficult to actually find a news story or a news source that actually kind of like has all the facts and all the context and then allows you to actually engage your rational mind to actually kind of make your own decision about it. It's like the that let's fear is the ultimate goal of this of this article. Anger or rage or frustration is the ultimate goal of this segment, right? So it's kind of like the um how you're going to respond to it has already been decided by like the production team so it's just like yeah it's just kind of it's yeah it's, it's all nonsense but we could talk about that all day but i want right. to talk i want to talk about um eastern medicine and your training your practice because we have this western culture that is really new it's super messed up in many ways in regards to our ability to go into go internally to do some healing work you know in regards to like meditation and yoga and acupuncture all these like ancient um eastern traditions that have been around for so 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 long all practices in self-care that's going to help us regulate our nervous system and they clearly recognized that like you know five thousand years ago so there was clearly stresses involved in those civilizations before right like very different to what we experience now but they had the intuition to recognize that they have to take care 
of their nervous system and their body and their biology because the world is a scary place but we develop and we become better individuals better families better communities better civilizations by using you know the more rational intellectual parts of our brain rather than being a you know, reptilian scared brain all the all of the time so can you tell us a little bit about um some of the more traditional eastern medicine practices and maybe you can touch on kind of like where the western world is like massively massively gone backwards yes i mean i think you made an important point that this type of medicine has been around for 5000 years so has meditation so have these uh, you know yoga and practices of that nature and i always say nothing that doesn't work sticks around for 5000 years right there's a reason that this stuff is still around and i i'm a proponent of western medicine too because we need both you're having a heart mm -hmm. attack you don't call me you know you break your arm i got nothing for you you need a surgery i'm not your girl but what Eastern medicine does that's different than Western medicine is it focuses on health. So the ancient doctors were only paid when their patients were healthy. If their patients got sick, they didn't get paid for that amount of time, which I think is really interesting. And another interesting point of Eastern medicine is it's not, it's not symptom focused right? I, I touched on this a, a smidge earlier, but it's focused on getting to the root cause of the issue because when you solve the root cause, the symptoms go away. And that's where pharmaceuticals fall down a bit because pharmaceuticals are about alleviating symptoms, which is important temporarily. And if you use pharmaceuticals for a short period of time, they can be great. But if somebody says, use this pill for the rest of your life for this symptom, the body reacts poorly. And that's where you've got all these side effects coming into play, right? But when you, so for instance, one role of acupuncture is to rebalance the body and rebalance the systems, right? And so when you use symptoms as guideposts, to say, okay, this is where this body is out of balance and you use modalities to get that body back into balance, the symptoms go away. Now, Eastern medicine in particular, um, traditional Chinese medicine uses acupuncture, herbs, nutrition. Um, I would prescribe meditation to my patients and there were some takers and some not, but meditation and mindfulness as well. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, I've experienced with all of those, all of those practices and I know how they make me think and how they make me feel and how they make me behave. And um, because doing meditation or doing yoga, you are taking the time to become present with your mind, becoming present with your body, connecting the two of them. And then you can actually start recognizing what my root cause might be or where my pain actually does sit, where these aches do sit rather than like the drug management where you know you are suppressing you know you're, you're trying to deal with symptoms rather than get to the root cause and then you end up after a you know even a short period of time of like you know pharmaceutical to toxicology you you stop your body being able to have this you know internal endogenous healing process which is obviously so ancient and so important that we kind of need to put our body in the best position to um we need to get out of the way, get out of the way so our own body can do that magical like healing process that it does. 
And you can't do that without becoming um, present and aware of your body and what's going on. Like, you, you know, where you put your focus is where you put your energy. You can't do that if you're using you know, kind of a drug management system, especially if you're going into it thinking that this is going to, this drug or whatever is going to heal something that's been coming for 20 years. And also a lot of people don't recognize that a lot of the habits that they have, again, like becoming completely unconscious of the majority of the things that they do with like diet and not moving their body sufficiently and not having a decent um, relationship with, with, with dealing with their stress, these things build up over sometimes for, for decades for people. And then when they do start to get pretty sick or they start having a disease and then they get a diagnosis and they have a pathology, people never recognize that it, maybe it's their own doing for 20 years of eating crap and not working, you know, not, not moving their body, which they're designed to do. So it's an, int it's interesting that we, we unless you do start taking these Eastern philosophies into consideration, you'll never become really aware of, of your mind, of your body and how you may have got into a situation. Exactly. And I think one, one way that Western medicine falls down a little bit is it puts way too much power in the practitioner's hands. The power should be in the patient's hands. Like you're saying, we should be able to be conscious of oh, I eat that food and it makes me not feel good. Or I am not exercising and my body feels this way. But like you're saying, some people are in such a space of, and I don't want to say bad habits because I don't think it's their fault. I think it's miseducation and misunderstanding because I don't think anyone would consciously put themselves into a situation where they feel that way right? But when you, when you just say, oh, just take this pill, you're going to be fine. It's all going to be better. That disempowers them. And it also doesn't educate them on the decisions they could make to change that situation. And I think that's why your podcast is important because it gets these decisions, it brings them to a conscious level, right? And it puts the power back into people's hands to say, to ask questions because questions are so important. And yes, that practitioner may only have X, Y, or Z, but you know what? If they're not giving you the answer that resonates with you or that sounds healthy, then find someone else and ask them. Yeah. I think the word power that you mentioned a couple of times there is very, very important. I think that just looking kind of look like at the medical system, which the conventional medical system, which certainly has its place there's a very interesting power dynamic in regards to like, you know, the doctors and the ivory tower and, uh, and all of that. And you do go into um, a doctor's office for a consultation and you might have like seven minutes. I think it's the average time in America for like a consultation. Like uh, there's no way that doctor can give you the, the right amount of attention needed to kind of go over maybe 20 years of, of discomfort or pain or whatever it might be so so difficult to do that so like those individuals those patients go in there and they they really don't have the power or time to ask questions or like become part of the process it's literally like tell me what you're going through and then the you know the, the doctor's going to prescribe something and we unfortunately give up that power when we just accept whatever comes out 
comes out of the doctor's mouth and sorry just just one more thing yeah i think a big thing for me is the response is the responsibility piece like i think that we do such an appalling job especially with kids and in school to teach them about responsibility and not just about being responsible within your classroom or you're within your family or within your community but also being responsible for yourself and your own actions and um, becoming part massive part of the healing process and being part of the doctor's conversation and being part of like your own health journey we do a really poor job of that and for a lot of most of the time it takes like trauma or tragedy or something really bad to happen before people start self-reflecting and realizing okay no one's going to do this but me and for, for a lot of people it can they can be in a really 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 bad place when they have that realization that's right and i want to be I want to be careful saying that I feel like it's a system and it's not the doctor's fault because I have a lot of friends who are doctors and they're doing their job. They're doing, you know, they're trained to, they have a certain toolbox, right? And they're trained to just use those tools. They prescribe those tools. So we become a society that's just dependent on those tools. And we've been trained that way. They've been trained that way. And like you're saying, sometimes it takes a tragedy or something huge for people to come out of that thinking and say, wait a minute, I think there has to be a better way. And how do I find that? And that's, that's the consciousness piece of yeah. it. And we're not, we're not giving people in most circumstances that opportunity. I do think the younger generations are better about it because they're getting it more. Uh, but you're right. We need to do better job in schools and we need to do a better job of empowering people in their health in their mental health in their physical health, all of it. Yeah. I agree with you that the system is kind of set up for, uh, it's set up for failure. It's set up for a very particular type of prescription or particularly type of interaction with a doctor. I also think that, um, there are a lot of doctors out there who could have, an influence because they obviously are part of that system and it's obviously not perfect and they they have other things that they have to consider but there are it's, it's remarkable how many people we've had on the podcast who are like you know who are like retired doctors or coming to the end of their career and they've they, they spent the last maybe five ten years of it just just completely coming out of that conventional model going into something functional because they've spent 30 40 years recognizing that this seven minute consultation and you know pharmaceutical only um, prescription process just it just doesn't work it doesn't get people um, back to health better and it's interesting that you see that more in those like smaller and uh, like community family doctors because they work with you know they're, they're with people for you know for large parts of their lives and when somebody is you know when you somebody as a doctor is using what they've been trained in to try and heal or help somebody and nothing's happened really in 30 years it's you know it's just it just sucks that it takes such a long period of time for a lot of a lot of those individuals to recognize that maybe if they focused a bit more on nutrition or stress management or community or whatever it might be taking some of these eastern philosophies in then they could have done you know so much could have done so much more for those for those people but it's you know it's as you say it's a very very tricky system that, that these these practitioners are working in so it's 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 not easy it's not and it's interesting because when the medicine is focused on health, it's a different situation. When the medicine is focused on disease, 
it's a disease-based model, that's what you get. You know, it's not necessarily a health-based model. It's a disease alleviation model, which is what it was built for. And that's okay. I mean, we need it. Believe me, Western medicine has saved my life a couple times. So I'm not knocking it at all. I just think they need to work in conjunction with each other instead of this or this. It needs mm -hmm. to be this and this. This to stay healthy. This if you get into a bad situation. Yeah, I often think about how advanced that emergency medicine, you know, that that, that really beneficial part of conventional medicine could be if, you know, 90, I, I want to say like 95 to 99% of the patients that people see day to day in the doctor's office are, you know, the chronic issues that are, you know, that, that could have been that, that could have been avoided. You know, but I, it, I, I do have to say, Simon, and, and in years of practice, I witnessed this, some people don't, don't want to. They don't want to take responsibility. I mean, I saw so many different people suffering and I would give them the solution, which yeah. was a natural solution. And they just, they didn't want to do it. They want a pill. They want that answer because why they, do you think, why do you think so? Because it's harder, right? It's harder to eat healthy. It's harder to cut out something from your diet that could be exacerbating your gut and causing systemic inflammation. It's harder to go to bed earlier if you want to stay up or give up alcohol or whatever. And I'm not saying everybody has to do all of these things all of the time. Mm -hmm. Right. But some people just don't, they don't want to. Do you think people just, when they get to that type of position that they just want to take something to just alleviate their pain or their discomfort just by a little bit. And then that's, that's enough. Or is it the case that, I mean, if they really wanted to heal themselves and even cure themselves in some cases, like certainly it's very, very, it's going to be hard to do that work and take that self-responsibility. But it's also like they must have some, we all have this level of programming of wanting like a quick fix for something, whether it is for a drug for a disease or a workout for the six pack that you want, you know, like we have this like culture of wanting something quick to get the results fast. Like I, I feel that that's embedded in our culture now. That's a, you nailed the, you nailed it on the head right there. It's the quick fix and drugs are a quick fix. The internet's a quick fix. You know, we have a lot of quick fixes around us and our brains are wired for quick fixes mm -hmm. because that's what we have. Right. So you've just nailed it on the head. That's what people want. That's what people are conditioned to have. And if you tell them that it's going to take them, like even in my book, I say it takes six weeks because natural things take time. I always tell my patients, you can't plant tomato seeds and eat the tomatoes that night for dinner. That is not how nature works. Nature mm -hmm. takes its time, right? But if it's, if you're working with nature, which we are an integral part of, aren't we? Inextricable mm -hmm. part of, then that's the only true way to change and heal. Because if you're going against nature, you have that quick fix, but nature doesn't work that way. Nature doesn't understand that. And so like we were talking about earlier, you get the cascade of side effects. You, you, it, you pay a price. Yeah. I think the word quick fix is, I think we should re reword that. Cause I, I don't, I don't think we're really fixing anything, you know, even that's true. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that we, we even word it like that when it's not really a fix and you know, it can take, take I mean, it's going to take so much hard work to like, you know, cure yourself of something that's taken you so long to, to, um, to, 
to get to. And I, I, I talk about that with my nutrition clients is the fact that, listen, okay, you've got all these symptoms and you've been eating and doing all these, you've been, you've had all these habits for 20 years. Like, do you think that it's going to take like a week or two weeks? How long do you think it's going to take to like redo the kind of damage that's been caused here? You know, like, and a lot of people don't necessarily think about it that way because they don't think like what they did in their twenties or in their thirties is, is affected them now in their forties. They feel like, Oh, it's their genetics or it's just like bad luck or it's just like an age related thing that they succumb with like maybe these digestive issues on the, and this, and this pain. So it can be very, very difficult for people to like even take self-responsibility for stuff that's like in the past and doesn't really matter anymore. Like, you know, it's like, okay, you did your thing stuff when you were 20 and 30, you can't change any of those things, but like you can do something about it now to start feeling like a little bit better and a little bit better. There must be some like some deep psychological um, things going on for people where, yeah, we, we desire this quick fix, like, but we, we, we can't really like sit down and be rational and recognize that that's actually going to like do anything and, and, and deal with 20 years of pain. Yes. And in addition to that, it's like short-term satisfaction versus long-term satisfaction, right? And reaching for those cookies mm. is that short-term satisfaction. And it's much easier to do than to resist those cookies and go for the long-term, right? Benefit. So yeah, that's an issue too. It's like, what do you want in this moment? I want this. Is that what's good for you? It is not. But that doesn't make me not want this in this moment. You know, people want what they want, what they want, when they want it. And mm -hmm. they don't want to equate that decision to a repercussion. Totally. No, I, and I, that's something that's actually come up for me in the last like few months in regards to how I personally like motivate myself to make like, I want to say good decisions most of the time. Um, it's about like, how do I want to spend the last like, 10 years of my life my marginal decade you know how that's my motivation for doing stuff now in my like late 30s so it's more of like a like a backcasting motivational practice rather than thinking short term about like next month or next summer or next year like where do i want to be like health wise um because trying to find your why or your motivation is can be really really tricky for a lot of people especially when their whole experience with their pain and discomfort and their habits is all in the past and yeah. there's nothing they can really change about that. And, you know, they may not have liked their body for 20 years or liked the way that they looked. Um, that can have like, you know, that that's no, that's that's matter in the brain, which is firing and wiring and, you know, creating thoughts, creating um, feelings, creating behaviors. But rather than looking forward to be like, OK, this is where you are right now. Things in the past may have got you there, but like, how do you want to spend the next, you know, 20, 30 years of your life? And especially how do you want to spend the last 10 years of your life? Because that's can be a really important um, motivator to create the stepping stones necessary to kind of get you where you need to be. Yeah, it's just interesting how so many people find that lack of goal, that lack of motivation, that lack of why, when, you know, some people can, some people can find it and use it on a day-to-day -day basis to do really, really good things. But then some people like really, really struggle to find that self-motivational piece. And I don't know whether that's like from maybe not growing up in certain environments or not getting that type of um, motivation or responsibility in school. I don't know. It's just like deeply psychologically interesting that 
you know, people are people are wildly so different. You know, we all, all experience pain and anger and depression and anxieties, but some people want to uh, like do the work, and some people don't. Well, and I think we have a lot of people who are in happy denial. They're in happy denial mm. that the decisions that they're making today are going to affect them when they're eighty, right? But they are, yeah. and they do unless you have a huge major turnaround. Mm. But like you're saying, we are conglomeration of all of our years. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just this month. I'm just last month. No, I'm, you know, I'm 51 years of choices. Mm -hmm. That's what I am sitting right here in front of you. And I've made a, a lot of good ones and I've made some bad ones. But a lot of people just don't want to either believe that or even let it come into their consciousness because it's it's harder work, I think. And I think we're conditioned. And I love when you said earlier, we need to eliminate this quick fix thing because it is not a fix. You know, we need to say, I don't even know how we term this, like quick decision, <laughs> quick choice, quick. I don't know. And maybe even quick as well is a bad word. It's just like, I don't know what. <laughs> quick is yeah. yeah it is and it's not a fix but i digress um but i think you're right i i think that people do have a hard time making decisions in the present moment that affect their long term yeah it can be a lot tricky tricky for people to just even find the motivation to maybe do some good things for themselves like tomorrow or the next day you know like we talk ourselves out of quite remarkable things that we know do so can just do so much for our for our health our health span our lifespan etc um i want to talk about um neuroplasticity a bit because you work with rewiring you know helping people rewire their minds to become more balanced become happier and calmer yes. so do we how do we get to a position where we have brains that are wired for unhappiness and erratic natures and being out of balance Good question. Can I give you an analogy? You may. Okay. So you just got a new job. Okay. You are in charge of routing airplanes at American airlines. Okay. Not in charge of the snacks. Don't care if the seats are comfy. You're just wiring the wiring. <laughs> You're just routing the planes. Okay. And in our analogy, the travelers are your thoughts and the flight patterns are the neural networks, neural pathways in the brain. And neural means nerve, and nerves are interconnected in your brain, and they make up these pathways, okay? So your boss just called, and your boss said, okay, Stressville is hot. Everybody's going to Stressville. We need to make as many flight paths and connections to Stressville as possible so we can get all of our travelers there, right? So your travelers are your thoughts and your neural networks are your flight patterns. So your boss has just told you because of that activity, you have to increase the accessibility. Okay. So all these travelers are going to Stressville. They're loving it. It's trendy. It's hot. It's happening. It's basically dominating the flight patterns like you're they're not no longer going to cleveland they're not going to new york city or british columbia they're headed to stressville everybody's loving it stressville 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 and then where are 
your flights scheduled? I don't know. Most of them are scheduled to stressful, aren't they? Okay, right, yeah. So then if somebody wants to go to Calm Town, right? They go online, they look for, oh my God, it's really hard to find flights to Calm Town because everything's going to Stressville. But if you want to go to Stressville, it's really easy because you just log on like, oh my God, everybody's going to Stressville has so many options, right? And this is how your brain gets wired. And it's unwittingly done because we would never do this on purpose. But just like every traveler that wants to go to Stressville, helps those flights become more frequent, get more connections and the synaptic um, connections are the connections between the nerves that you have to make, right? Which is you have to make your connections between the flights. Is this making sense? Oh yeah, it's great. Okay, so when that happens in your mind over time, your thoughts are dominated to stressful. So something even remotely stressful comes up, bang, you're in stressful before you can say Bob's your uncle. You don't even know what happened. Like you're, you're fretting that your, you know, third graders report card can mean she's going to be a pole dancer at a dive bar in Queens before you even know that you've had a thought about it. Right. So if your thought, if your thought, if your brain is wired that way, that's what most of your thoughts are going to be. It's easier. But what if, what if things changed? Okay, your boss calls and says, I do not know what's going on, but everybody now wants to go to Calm Town. They want to think calm and happy thoughts. Well, you would have to make more flight connections and flight pathways to Calm Town. And then that would become dominant. So then when that stressful thought comes up, right, you go online, you're trying to schedule a thought, it can go quicker to Calm Town than it can to Stressville. Does that make sense? Totally. And just as you're explaining that, it makes me it just makes me think about how important um, like food and nutrition and like even supplements comes into it, because you're talking about these flight passes, like, you know, physical neurons. And when we are like, you know, chronically stressed and we are just like more programmed to go to stress feel the quality of those nerve tissues, the quality of the chemicals and the 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 electric electrical component as well, these these tissues and these these um, hormones are going to be of poor quality if somebody is in a really long-term chronic state because if they're stressed most of the time their digestion is going to be poor they're going to be unable to like break down the individual nutrients necessary to create tissue and create hormones and um, proteins and you know using amino acids etc so when somebody is like chronically stressed, like it's so that their, their neuro, neurological pathways are certainly set for stress, but they're also like probably not in the best quality. And if you are looking to make that like transition into like a calmer mind to rewire your mind, you're certainly going to need like the materials, the resources to produce new neurons that are actually of good quality. Um, you know, there's, you know, we, that they're made of so many different things and if we don't have the resources coming in through nutrition or from from a micronutrient sub supplement then you're going to you're going to struggle to to transition to making good quality brain tissue yes definitely and you know high stress triggers us to want those yummy foods doesn't it yeah, it trigger yeah. it triggers us for because they create serotonin and the brain and serotonin is, you know, a happy chemical. So, um, but yes, of course. And 
as your digestion deteriorates because chronic high stress, well, stress shuts down the digestive process, doesn't it? Right? Because stress shuts down anything not absolutely necessary for survival. So if it's shutting down the digestive process, you're not getting the nutrients that you need. And you're right. Supplementing with some very key nutrients can be amazing help in chronically stressed people. Yeah. I mean, I know. So our, our flagship product here at True Hope Canada is a, a broad spectrum micronutrient formula that's is the most studied micronutrient on the planet. And we find with individuals who use it for things like depression and bipolar schizophrenia, they, they're taking a consistent form of nutrition that's very much bioavailable it's in very specific forms and it helps that process of healing because the body's always trying to heal itself the brain's always trying to heal itself but somebody who's depressed and maybe isolating themselves and maybe not eating brilliantly or exercising well their ability to create you know new neuropathways or new muscle tissue or whatever is going to be depleted because they don't have the resources and they don't have like the let's just say the energy or the metabolism to like make those things happen. But when you can actually consume a micronutrient or, or, or a highly dense form of nutrition, you're just helping your body be able to do that so much better. And, you know, especially when you're in like a, a, a tougher place where digestion might not be well, and you might not actually be craving or wanting um, those types of healthy foods that are going to be able to get you there, taking a, a, a supplement that's just like, you know, an easy thing to take that can kind of get going right away can be such a, such a helpful thing in that like transitional process of healing. Right. And I would venture to say that doing activities, specific activities to rewire your mind at the same time is mm -hmm. critical because if you don't change your thought patterns, you're not changing that circumstance. It's like you're not rewiring and rescheduling things to go to calm town. You're just continually living in stressful. So I think both are really, really important. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, having the practice as well. You can't just take something, expect everything to heal up. But, you know, a lot of people can when they start taking like good nutrition, when they start putting good nutrition into their bodies, it can kind of like lift the veil a little bit and uh, allow them to start thinking different thoughts rather than kind of like the more uh, negative, darker thoughts that just like circulate and ruminate and like wire and fire, fire and wire like more consistently. Yeah. And I'm this, I'm not trying to be cheesy and plug my book, but that's why I love my book because it gives you exact times to do it, how long to do it, exact exercises to do. Um, it's very, very, very detailed because when your mind is wired towards stress, you know, your those stress pathways are like the incredible Hulk and they take over just mm. as fast. Right. Um, so you need designated time and designated exercises to be able to do to start that rewiring. That makes a heck of a lot of sense. Where, where can people, connect with you and maybe get a copy of the book. The book is on Amazon. It's called The Calm Code. And I really wasn't just trying to plug it right there. I promise no, you. Great. But um, and I'm at um, DrAnnieWhite.com and Dr. spelled D-O-C-T-O-R. Awesome. That was really cool. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with me today. I think it would be great to get you back on to talk about um, 
some of the other topics that we just kind of brushed over on today, especially with the Eastern medicine piece. I think the more that we get to, the more we can talk about um, these ancient practices, you know, looking back throughout history and looking at these ancient wisdoms is very, very vital to the progression of our species in, in all honesty. Um, so thank you very much, Annie, for coming onto the show. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed being here and I love what you're doing. So thank you. Thank Beautiful. you. Well, I'll make sure to put uh, connection links for Annie in the show notes today. If you've not subscribed yet, uh, consider doing it. Leave us a review on iTunes. And uh, yeah, that is it for this episode of True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. We'll see you next week.